All right, now, speaking of which, here's the next question in the exit interview. The moment you knew this season was effed, and there's a lot of ways you can go with this because there were a lot of moments throughout this season where I think we all looked in the mirror and said, "Uh uh-oh, it's not turning around. The ultimate moment we knew it was effed, you could certainly go to the trade deadline. You can go to trading Scherzer on that Saturday, trading Verlander a few days earlier, uh, later, trading Robertson a few days earlier, or maybe it's an individual game. Maybe there's a certain game that jumps out at you or a certain stretch of the season where you just knew this is not turning around. And I'll start it off because I had a few of them. I certainly had a few of them. Um, I'll never forget the Mets had that incredible homestand against Tampa Bay and Cleveland in late May. We even did a, a drive home podcast. You can check the archives in which I'm ecstatic. You're ecstatic. We're back. This is the winning streak we needed. And they very quickly turn around and lose a bunch of games on the road trip, that following road trip against the Cubs and the Rockies, where I really started to wonder was they come back to City Field and they sweep the Philadelphia Phillies. And they're sitting there at 30 and 27, three and a half games out of first place. And they've got a three game series with the Blue Jays before they go to Atlanta. And on a Friday night, they face Chris Bassett, whose wife was in labor. Bassett pitches through it anyway and then says, hey, as soon as I'm done, I'll get on the plane, I'm out. And he delivered, I think it was seven scoreless innings, outdueled Verlander, Mets lose 3 nothing. But the game that really concerned me was the next day. It was a Saturday late afternoon against the Blue Jays, and that's where two big things happened. A, Francisco Lindor made an error that really changed the game. I think it was in the sixth inning. And then Buck Showalter made arguably the worst managerial decision of his tenure as Met manager. And that was when he elected to face Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with Kevin Biggio on deck. Vlad rips a double. Mets threaten and come up short the ninth, and they lose 2-1. to one. And all of a sudden, like all that winning seemed to get erased. They lost the next day, got swept by Toronto. Then they go to Atlanta. And that's the House of Horror series where they blew three consecutive three-run leans capped off by that 13-10, 10-inning loss right after. And that's when they fell under 500. They started to sink. The division was gone. I mean, the division was over right after that series against Atlanta. So that was like kind of point number one of, uh uh-oh, what the hell's going on? I thought we had turned it around. I thought we were back. And then all of a sudden, you're getting swept at home by the Blue Jays and get swept in Atlanta. But then we had a few more teases, specifically right before the All-Star break when they went on that West Coast trip. They finish strong by winning a home series against the Giants. They go to Arizona. They win three straight. Now, at this point, the division's gone, but they're slowly getting back into it. And they win the opener in San Diego against the Padres. They're 42 and 46, and I'm feeling better about, all right, they're going to go into the break strong, and here we go. And then they lose the final two games of that series to San Diego. They come out of the break. They lose two out of three to the L.A. Dodgers. And it was almost like, hey, they took the step forward and they went back. But the real moment of clarity, and this is why Max Scherzer deserves so much hate, was in Boston. I made that trip to Boston, as you recall, for that three-game series 
They won the opener, that cheap little rain delay. Let's pick it up the next day opener. And then Max Scherzer with a lead on Saturday night at Fenway just flushed it down the toilet. And that was the moment, sitting at Fenway Park with my family, where I turned around and said, they're not making a run. Like, this is just not happening. And maybe the Met, maybe the Mets agreed because they made the trade of David Robertson less than a week later during that series against, well, I think the beginning of that series against Washington. That's when they said, okay, we're out. And then obviously by the weekend's end, everybody's gone. And then they got swept by the Royals and the Orioles and the season's over. So I know I gave like five different answers. I think I'm ultimately going to say Boston because there was a part of me that held out hope deep in my soul that they would at least get hot and make things interesting. And when Max Scherzer flushed it down the toilet on that Saturday night in Boston, even that dream was gone. Yeah, I think that some people are going to say it's somewhere between uh, Edwin Diaz getting hurt and David <laughs> Robertson getting traded. I, honestly, it's somewhere in between there. Somewhere in between, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to that Houston series, and I'm not really sure why I pinpoint that as much, but they went out to Houston. They, were, they went and beat the crap Scherzer actually pitched yep. well yep. and they won 11 to one and it's like okay they're 34 and 38 after that game and they're still ton of there's like 12 games behind at that point in time but I'm like dude Verlander is gonna win this series because that's right now at this point in time the Mets haven't won a world uh, series in I've uh, what like a month or whatever it was it was it, yeah. was, it was terrible yep so we're at this point where if we could win this series, we don't need to sweep it. Just win the series, and that's a good start, and let's get past this schneid. And if you look at teams like the Nationals, like the Braves, like the Phillies in the past where they've hit poor points, usually it's June when they make their move. And the Mets lost a heartbreaker. They lost 4-2 to to Houston the next day with Verlander on the mound. It was a quick game. It was two, two hours and 11 minutes, and it just breezed by. And like, there's no chance they're winning this game at all. And then the next next game was just a crappy game. We'd lose 10, 10 to 8. I think we were in it for a little bit. But, again, I think that that series solidified. We went back from being four games over under five, uh, 400, four games under 500, excuse me, back to six, and it just spiraled. I mean, we went we went from four games under 500 to uh, the next time we won a game, I think we were t- at least 10 games under 500. Yes, it the the letting go of the rope happened quick. That game you mentioned, that finale, that series against the Astros, I was on the air. It was one of the last shows. <coughs> Excuse me. It was one of the last shows Craig and I did together. And it was such a back-and-forth game for the first five innings. They were down 2 nothing. They came back, took a 3-2, 4-2 lead. Then they go down 6-4. Then they instantly tied at 6. Then they go down 9-6. Then it's 9-8. They end up losing 10-8. It was just one of those crazy kinds of games and it was kind of indicative about what they were here they come out and they score a lot of runs against the Astros and they lose 10-8 the day before that they couldn't score any runs against Framber Valdez they lose 4-2 it was a part of what made them such a struggle all year that even on the days where they hit they wouldn't pitch well on the days where they pitch well they wouldn't hit but you're right it was we all make that decision personally when we give up. And by give up, it doesn't mean we're stopping, stop watching the games. It's the moment where we say, this ain't happening. Like, this isn't good. We're not going to be the Nationals of 2019. It's not happening. We're not going to be the Braves of 2021. Obviously, the final nail in that were the trades. Ah, no question. 
But there was some time before that for all of us where it hits you. Like, I remember with my dad, when they lost the opener of the series against the Yankees at City Field, they lost 7-6, Max Scherzer blew the lead, they gave him a big lead early. That was the moment I could tell in my dad's eyes he knew we were screwed. It was 5-1 to one in the fourth inning, and Max Scherzer took a huge dump all over the field. <laughs> That's a, look, there's a common bond here, a common thread here. Max Scherzer crapped the bet a lot. I and mean, that's just that's just the reality. Like he was a bad met more so than his numbers will ever tell the story on because so many of these games that we refer to involve him effing up. Him kind of letting go with a leash if you will. So I know that game in the middle of June during the height of their losing was when I could see it in my dad's eyes. All right, this ain't happening. And obviously didn't. And then it all came to a crashing halt after the trade deadline and then the sweep at the hands of Kansas City and then Baltimore. I'm going to let you start off with this exit question because I think you were very passionate about it and you have a strong opinion about it. And that was, what was your biggest worry heading into the season that turned out to be 100% true? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest for me was we needed an extra bat. I, I think that that was something that we needed a DH. That was the bit. That was the most yep. obvious thing in the world. Yep. I mean, rather than split Daniel Vogel back, and we were that Darren Ruff was going to make the freaking roster. I mean, geez, I thank God that didn't happen. You imagine that? Imagine it was Ruff Vogel back the first two months of the season. <laughs> I mean, well, we would have jumped ship early, so much earlier. But yeah, that would have that would have been the killer. But yeah, the fact that we they overcommitted to that, and the fact that all the all those details came out that Buck didn't even want to do it. Buck didn't want to play him, and we had to endure that all. Se- like, I mean, honestly. Real quick, let's take a pause. As Met fans, we should just pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what? We did a good job handling that. We knew that was the <laughs> wrong move, and we still rooted for this team and tried to sub- do our best to support this team. I mean, I for crying out at one point in time, I tried to beg them, the, uh, you know, people to vote for him to go to the All-Star game. Okay? <laughs> I was doing whatever I possibly could, and it didn't work, but that was the most obvious. Anybody else but Daniel Vogelback, a true DH would have been more impactful to this team. Yeah, you turned out to be right because you did scream it a lot. And there were certain names of guys that you wanted to add. And I kind of looked at who they had, especially some of the younger players they had and thought they would be okay. Turned out not to be okay. Here are the final numbers from the DH position from the New York Mets. We'll start with OPS rank. They finished 23rd out of 30 major league teams in OPS. They were at an even 700. When it comes to batting average, the Mets finished 28th of 30 teams at DH with a 217 batting average. When it comes to home runs, it actually wasn't as bad as you think. They finished tied for 11th with 27 home runs out of the DH spot. Pop the champagne. <laughs> when it came to RBIs, they finished 18th with 83 RBIs. Uh, but overall, look, you look at OPS, you look at batting average, if you want to look at that, it was not good. They didn't get enough production out of the DH spot. That's what it came down to. And I think what's interesting looking back on it now is that ideally, ideally, you want to use the DH as a rotating spot to rest some of your players. And then also, you know, get at bats to guys who are hot. You never want to be stuck with one guy who can't hit. And unfortunately, that's where the Mets were. They were stuck with one guy who didn't hit enough in Daniel Vogelback. 
So they never really fixed the DH spot. And it was something you screamed a lot about and you turned out to be right. My biggest worry and the thing I was most nervous about with this team was the depth of their pitching, specifically their bullpen, but even like the depth starters in case guys got hurt. And that turned out to be true because ultimately this bullpen was not good enough. It just wasn't. Their starting pitching depth, you could argue, is one of the biggest reasons they failed early in the season. Now, it's a chicken or egg thing. If Verlander's healthy and Quintana's healthy, and those guys are pitching in April, well, then you don't need the starting pitching depth. Then you're not relying on Tyler McGill and David Peterson. So you could blame the injuries and say, well, that's the real reason they failed. But if you had good starting pitching depth and guys pitched better the way they did a year earlier, you could have overcome it. Because one of the biggest differences between 2022 and 2023 were the performance of their depth starting pitchers. Look at the numbers from 2022. David Peterson, when he filled in, in the times that they needed him to, and there were plenty of times because DeGrom didn't pitch for the first half of the season, Max missed a bunch of time on the IL, the depth guy stepped up. As far as their bullpen is concerned, the New York Mets bullpen finished 22nd in ERA at 4.45. And that's with getting a really good first half from their closer at the time, and David Robertson. They were still a bad bullpen. So I guess this is what happens when you lose as many games as you lose. You're right, Pete, and I'm right, because they sucked in all of those areas that we were concerned about. Bullpen depth, starting pitching depth, and you you were right in terms of needing to add a DH bat, which is why this next question I think is a layup for you. And if you don't answer it for yourself, I'll help you get it. (laughs) What do you got? 